0: This is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on texts used for preaching here at the First Free Methodist Church of Seattle, or anyone looking to dive deeper into the Bible. Today's passage is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. It's the basis of the sermon here at First Free Methodist Church on August 27, 2023. It's part of our series called Open Invitation, as we discover the power of hospitality in our daily lives. Before we begin, let's hear the text from Hebrews chapter 13, the final chapter of that book, toward the end of the New Testament, beginning at verse 1 and continuing through verse 3. The writer says, Let love of the brothers and sisters continue. Do not neglect hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners, as though in prison with them, and those who are badly treated, since you yourselves also are in the body." In the first verse of chapter 13, we find a distinct kind of love. The writer of Hebrews uses an incredibly unusual word in verse 1 to talk about the love of the brothers and sisters. This is one word in Greek, love of brothers and sisters. It's one simple Greek word. It should be familiar to many. It is the word philadelphia. And of course, we name the city of Philadelphia literally after this Greek word, the city of brotherly love. So we do know this is a name of a city, but its meaning in this text is quite remarkable. In the Greek culture of the first century, when this is written, this term is always, at all times, in every situation and circumstance. I can't emphasize this enough, in every usage. It is in reference to one owns actual siblings. It is never in relationship to anyone outside one's own immediate family. It would never be used to describe anyone outside of that circle. The writer of Hebrews begins this chapter with a clear statement of a revolutionary kind of love that Christians are to share. The community is told to let this kind of love, this love between siblings, continue in the community. And not only is the scope of this word unique, but there's something else added here. That Greek verbs, like philadelphia, come in different moods. And the mood is not necessarily a verb's emotional state. It's more about its grammatical usage. So, there's a a mood that is uh, the form of a question. There's a mood that's a form of dreaming or envisioning. There's the mood of just simple statements. And then there's the mood of command. It's called the imperative mood. And that's this verb. Philadelphia is rendered in the imperative mood. It's not a suggestion, it's not a statement, it's not just an invitation, it is a command that we read here in verse 1, to have this kind of love in Christian community. Now remember, uh, if you are not aware, the book of Hebrews as a whole is written to a community of Jewish individuals that are currently under a significant challenge. They're under some form of persecution, and it's causing many within this community of Jewish Christians to lapse back into Judaism. We know of quite a few circumstances in the latter half of the first century where Jewish, the Jewish Christian community experienced persecution, sometimes from within the Jewish community itself and at other times from the Romans. This is a, a letter written, chapters 1 to 13, to a Jewish community of Christians that in experiencing that persecution is reflecting on what it would simply mean for them to convert back to simple Judaism rather than Christianity, uh, so that they might be saved from the persecution they're enduring at that time. We learn here that this early community of Christians, uh, of course, they didn't gather in church buildings or cathedrals. They There were no such things at the end of the first century. They gathered in homes. and they And so there was this deeply kind of a relational intimacy that happened within these communities. Family ties were important. And so the the command to let the love of brothers and sisters continue finds a context in these first century house churches. It was a remarkable characteristic that the church was to have in the ancient world. Now, the next several verses, verses are going to elaborate on the dynamic interpretation of that love. In other words, how do we do that kind of loving that's described here in verse 1? And it opens a key passageway to us. Christian community is to be known by its love. Now, to be honest, that may sound like something we've heard before. After all, there's songs written about that, that the Christian community is to be known by its love. However, reading this text brings i think new light to that meaning christians are to love one another as if they were part of an actual family brothers and sisters together the, the same affection and commitment we have to our our family members who are our brothers and sisters are to be the same in the life of the church i mean what would this look like what kind of Commitments would change. I mean, how do you imagine church meetings would function if we behaved in a way that respected one another as fellow siblings? As if even in moments of disagreement, we would recognize that the bond that connects us cannot be broken. And ultimately, the people outside Christian community looking in, what would they think of us if we were to love the way the writer of Hebrews is encouraging us to do so in chapter 13, verse 1. The writer now goes on to give some examples of what this love of brothers and sisters would look like, this Philadelphia, how we would live that out in our midst. In verse 2, we read again, Do not neglect hospitality to strangers, For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Do not neglect hospitality. The same force of grammar is at use here as well. So that do not neglect hospitality, that phrase in Greek, is also in the imperative mood. But now it's imperative in negation. Do not neglect this. So it's to have attention paid to it. It's to be tended is something that's very important in our midst. Now, hospitality to strangers is important for us to recognize. What's happening here is that the Christian community is to engage with this radical kind of hospitality to people who intersect that community as strangers. Now, a stranger would be somebody who was maybe new to the community. A stranger was perhaps a traveler who might be passing through. Um, A stranger could be somebody who's staying in a particular location for a period of time before they move on to the next place that they're going to, whatever it is. The reality of the ancient world is it's not like today. There are no Hiltons and Holiday Inns everywhere. Uh, people could choose to stay in an inn, which is equivalent of like what we would call a roadhouse while they're traveling. But in the ancient world, that was a risky affair because since an inn provided accommodation for guests, it was a target of a robbery, abuse, kidnapping, all sorts of things. So staying in an inn is came at a certain level of risk so most of the time when people would travel uh, if they traveled at all they would stay with relatives or family members that they had in this case christians were to treat travelers like family now in the the jewish world of palestine in the first century there's a different cultural expectation here it was common within semitic cultures for people to take other individuals into their home, whether they knew them or not, to care for them and tend for them. But in the broader Greek-speaking world, this was not a reality. In the Greek-speaking world, it would have been unusual to welcome a stranger into your home, somebody who was passing through into your home. That's simply not something you would do. So it was to be this Christian mark of hospitality, to open one's home to those who were making their way. But... This particular word used for hospitality in verse 2 is unique because it adds a nuance to that. This particular word means, um, as best we can describe it, a radical kind of hospitality. Uh, Commentator William Lane offers this definition of this word for hospitality. He says, It is a delight in the guest-host relationship through which there can be a mutual exchange of unanticipated gifts, that bring refreshment to one another. And so this kind of hospitality is the kind that's extended joyfully. It's the kind of hospitality that's offered in the hopes that, that the sojourner that would be staying with an individual would bring a, a, a richness, a diversity, assets. They would bring the, the totality of who they are and that this exchange that would happen would bring delight to not only the guest, but also the host. This word for hospitality has to do with joy. It has to do with joy. So this is an invitation to a radical kind of hospitality, one where we take joy in welcoming the stranger. The writer goes on to say that by doing this, sometimes people have entertained angels without even knowing it. We know stories from Scripture that tell us this. The three angels that visited Abraham at Mamre in Genesis 18 was an opportunity to extend this kind of hospitality. And at that time, Abraham, little did he know it, entertained three angels. Gideon in Judges chapter 6 entertained angels in the same way. Manoah in Judges chapter 13 entertained angels in the same way. So the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying that this isn't without precedent, that if we lean into the space of being hospitable and welcoming people radically, even into our own homes, there's ways in which um, we're extending the grace of God to other people. So there's a key passageway for us here, that hospitality and generosity are a path to joy giving and joy receiving. You know, often we hear guests who may be staying with us say, that they don't want to impose uh, because they know receiving hospitality from us comes at a price. In fact, when we conduct ourselves toward those in community, we're supposed to go above and beyond in our hospitality so that the notion of imposition doesn't even exist. We would be sharing ourselves with extravagance authoring and giving with joy. There's a joy in giving and receiving, and there can be practically hardly any error. Of course, if there's a, a guest who takes advantage or exploits that hospitality, yes, but really the default setting for us, according to Hebrews, is to extend a form of hospitality that's so extravagant, so overwhelming, so magnanimous that people would know that they're in the presence of individuals who are filled with deep deep joy and finally we turn to verse three an extension of that love between brothers and sisters that philadelphia in verse three it tells us remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those that are badly treated since you yourselves also, are in the body. There's an emerging parallel that starts to happen here in Hebrews chapter 13 that in many ways aligns itself with what Jesus taught us in the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew chapter 25. You might remember when Jesus taught this parable, he said, when I was imprisoned, you visited me. And then the disciples say, Lord, when did we see you imprisoned and visited you? And Jesus says, as long as you've done it to the least of these, you have done it to me. There there were two types of prisons in the ancient world, public prisons, private prisons. Public prisons were for those accused of crime and convicted of crime. And then there were private prisons, which were dominantly made, of course, for slaves and people who would be indentured servants. In other words, they owed a financial debt that required them to live a life of so-called slavery so they could repay the debt. In both situations, public and private prisons, the imprisonment was a terrible experience. People, especially in public prisons, were reliant on family to clothe and to feed them. It's not at all like prison we think of in the 21st century here in the United States where people go to prison, they have an orange jumpsuit, they're fed meals. They're, you're kept, you know, uh, in 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 conditions, of course, that many of us find questionable. But it's a far, far, far more severe experience here in the ancient world. That if family did not bring clothing and did not fee- and did not bring food to their family member in prison, they simply would have no clothes and they would not be able to eat. Even if you were imprisoned awaiting a hearing before a magistrate, unless you were under house arrest many would die so the writer here has in mind that those of the community the christian community who were in prison of any kind it would have been exceptional it would have been exceptional for a faith community to care for those in prison especially when there was no family and so there's a there's an exhortation here that the christians were to be in the prison assessing who had family caring for them and who did not and those that did not The Christian community took it upon themselves to to provide that role of family. Again, that's back to the Philadelphia, the way in which we treat one another as if we're part of a family together. What we cannot miss here is a radical reorientation of family. That family is not just simply our nuclear family or a biological family. Christians are to treat each other like family. No one else did this. This was totally distinctive to the Christian community. It became the marker through the first several centuries of the Christian church by which they were known, that they would invite strangers into their homes, that they would visit people in prison and care for them when they weren't members of their family, that they took care of the sick, they took care of orphans and widows. This is totally distinctive, and it's rooted in the teachings, of course, of Jesus, but also in the encouragement here in Hebrews chapter 13. And then the writer says in verse 3, think of it as if you were imprisoned yourself. Think of it as if your actual biological sibling were in prison. It opens the final key passageway for us. Christian care was a witness and a sign of transformational community. In the ancient world, as I've said, no one would be responsible for doing anything any of these things described in these three verses. Family members. Immediate family members would tend to all of these matters. The writer of Hebrews makes it clear. That our community is different. We love one another in such a way. That there can be no confusion. About how uniquely different we are as a community. We love as if we were actual brothers and sisters. We welcome those who are strangers in the same way we would welcome our own family. We tend for those who are in prison the exact same way as if they were our closest and most dear relatives. Christians, even in prison, both justly and unjustly, we regard it as one of our own. No one did these things in the ancient world. And these are the markers, these are the markers that pointed to the radical love of Jesus in our midst. And friends, they need to be recovered. If you have comments or reflections, I invite you to visit my website revcraig.com. Click on news in the upper right hand corner and on a drop down menu you'll see the word podcasts and then go to that page and click on this week's episode and leave a comment. I'd also encourage you to visit ffmc.org, firstfreemethodistchurch.org, our church's website, to learn more about free Methodism and how you can connect with our community. I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.